Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, I want to thank you for joining us today on the program and for joining us every week. We are uh, building an audience and we are so thankful for those of you who have let us know you're watching uh, via YouTube through our uh, television program. Also, uh, there are apps that you can get for your smartphone or for your television sets. If you're seeing this somewhere in a motel and you don't get this channel at home, you can download the TBN app to any of your smart devices or uh, any of your devices that will run uh, some of the internet-based television. All you got to do is go to the store on your device and download the TBN app and it will give you all 10 of TBN's channels and you can watch it live or archived. Uh, we've been teaching almost 80 weeks now out of the book of Revelation. We're going to endeavor to get into the 11th chapter uh, on this particular segment. We've dealt with the 10th chapter, and uh, I think we've laid some pretty good foundation up to this point. I really encourage you to go back and listen to the prior segments. They will help you to be able to, uh, you know, to grab and grasp some of this. I want to begin reading in chapter 11, and we're going to move into chapter 11 today. It says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. It is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they trod underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut the heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. They have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and shall kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet. Great fear fell upon them which saw them and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of the men seven thousand, the remnant were afflighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, behold, the third woe cometh. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was, and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power, and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged. 
and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and that thou shouldest destroy them which destroyed the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Now this is a powerful piece of scripture. I don't know how long it's going to take to unpack it. Now one of the things I do want to show you is, uh, I, I, let me see if I can find this very quickly here in the book of Daniel. But uh, I want to show you some things in the book of Daniel as well that kind of coincide with what is being said here in the book of Revelation. Daniel chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading around verse 10. It says, And a fiery stream issued and came forth before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Behold, I beheld then because of the voice of the great works, words, I'm sorry, the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to be burned in the flames. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. And I saw in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now I'm going to skip down here to verse uh, number uh, 22, it says, or verse number 21. It says, I beheld, and the same horn made war against the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. He shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of times, which is literally three and a half years or 42 months. But the judgment shall set, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations must trouble me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Wow, some powerful scripture. Now let me say to you, that these kings that's talking about in the book of Daniel, especially if you go back and read them in the Amplified Bible and make a careful comparison with the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, they are the exact same kings that are in power. The last kingdom or the fourth kingdom, if you read in Daniel chapter 2, if you read it in the Amplified Bible, it'll just tell you who it is without you having to go back and do all their history work. But it tells you the fourth kingdom that will arise would be the Romans. That the first kingdom, I believe it was, uh, uh, the first kingdom was the Babylonian king. After him would arise Darius the Mede, uh, and then the Medes and the Persians. After him would arise uh, Alexander the Great, and the Greeks would come. And then after him, the Romans would come. And uh, the second chapter of the book of Daniel tells us, I believe it is in the 45th verse, 
that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven would set up a kingdom which would never be destroyed and the kingdom would not be left to other people. I submit to you that this beast in the book of Revelation is not another beast, but it is the same beast of Rome uh, that is described in the book of Daniel. Now, uh, I, I'm going to deal with the beast in another set of segments, so I'm not going to go into the detail of which one, uh, you know, had a deadly wound and was healed and all. We're, we're going to go into that as we get on over here. I just want to simply make the comparison that the beast that was uh, trying to uh, overcome the saints and prevailed against them up until uh, a certain time came. Uh, the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. I submit to you, as we shared before in the last couple segments, that in chapter 10, when this mighty angel came down from heaven with a cloud, he's the same one that was appearing before the Ancient of Days who appeared in a cloud. He is the same one who put one foot on the land and one foot on the sea and says, time no longer, or that there would be no more intervention of time, that there should be any more waiting or delay. What he's saying is, listen, folks, this is the final times, times, and a half times, or if you will, what Daniel prophesied as being the back bookend of his second time of the end prophecy of 1290 days, 300, or 1330 some days, and he said until the time of the end. Now we showed you on a chart when I had Dr. John Noe on with me uh, that there was 40 years of, and I talked about this also in the last three segments, that there was a 40-year gap from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D. That was the transition period from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Much of the first part of Daniel's time prophecy of his 70 weeks was fulfilled in the first couple of years of that time period, but the back bookend was the last three and a half years that Daniel talked about being the time of the end or the 1290 days or the 42 months or the three and a half years. I believe it is the same exact amount of time that the temple is being trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. It is the fulfillment of what Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you will know that it is near even at the door. I submit to you that the kingdoms were about to be, uh, that the king of kings was about to descend in judgment in this cloud upon the enemies of the gospel and that there was about to be a kingdom because he makes the announcement in the latter part of Revelation chapter 11, right on the heels of the temple being destroyed, he says there sounded a trumpet that said, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And that at that point in the book of Daniel, the kingdom and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven would be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. I submit to you that Jesus is right now reigning. I submit to you that you and I are part of that, 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 we, that we, what we should be doing, other than having bad theology that's kept us from reigning and ruling in the earth, that we should be ruling and reigning with Christ right now. You know, it's amazing to me. Uh, you see the scripture that talks about because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. And it's amazing to me that grace is the power to reign in life, but we talk about ruling and reigning when we get over yonder someplace. But when you read the best rest of the book of Revelation, they ruled and reigned in the earth. See, just because this occurred back then does not mean that there's still not things that are going on in the planet. Because I believe that according to Psalm 8, uh, God said uh, in Psalm 8, He said when David writing the Psalm said, When I consider the heavens, the moon, the stars, and the works of your fingers, and all that you've created, what is man that you're mindful of him? And then it goes on to say in that eighth chapter of the book of Psalms, He said, You, you crowned him with glory and honor, and you gave him dominion. <laughs> 
over the works of your hands. God gave his man dominion in the garden and said to him, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth and fill the earth. God has never changed his mind about that first mandate. Jesus restored us to that place on the cross when everything he does in his redemptive work, he does it in a garden. He's raised from the dead in a garden. Mary Magdalene sees him in a garden. She says, sir, I thought you were the gardener. I submit to you that it was in that garden that Jesus gave us back the dominion that belonged to... Uh, actually, it's not our dominion. It's his dominion that we share with him. And uh, we, we share the dominion of this king because he gives the dominion. He receives the kingdom and then he gives authority to the believer. I believe so that whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has been loosed in the heaven. See, what we need to understand is, is that we need to operate in this kingdom authority right now. And here's the tragedy. We've been told that all this stuff is somewhere in our future. And if we could just wake the church up to the truth that there is a mandate that we've received some goods that the king has given to us, that we have a right uh, to rule and reign with him right now. I mean, everything Jesus taught uh, throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's called the gospel of the kingdom. And what he did when he preached the gospel of the kingdom is he demonstrated what the kingdom looked like. And it wasn't a natural political kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom governed by the Holy Spirit. And included in all of that was he of the sick, raised the dead, cast out devils, freely you receive, freely give. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry to see the kingdom of God demonstrated on planet earth. And while there are many people who believe some of the eschatology like we do, that it was fulfilled in 70 AD, they become what is called cessationist, or they believe that the gifts of the Spirit and all that ceased and the apostles ceased. See, I, I beg to differ with that, because I believe that when Jesus demonstrated these miracles, and when the apostles demonstrated these miracles, they were only a first fruits of our inheritance, and they were only a down payment. And man, if the down payment was that good, then I'm telling you, uh, the purchase possession ought to be incredible. But not only was it the down payment, payment, but the scripture says that we tasted of the power of the age to come. So that power did not cease. That power continues and it ought to be getting greater in the life of the believer as we preach the real gospel of the kingdom. I heard someone make an argument the other day because, you know, uh, we see some of this in our meetings. Not as much as I'd like to see, admittedly. I, I'd like to see greater miracles. We've seen, though, some incredible miracles. People healed, set free, delivered. I'm talking about incredible miracles. You know, I, uh, we have a friend in Mobile, Alabama, got up out of a wheelchair, been crippled 30-some years, still walking in stiletto high heels, seen people delivered, set free from cancer, different things like that. The power of God is still alive and well. And then I heard someone say, well, you know, well, maybe those are just signs and lying wonders that the devil's doing. And my response to that is, so then you can believe the devil can do it, but you don't believe God can do it. I, I just happen to believe that God still dispenses his gifts and God still dispenses his power to a church whom he, the saints of the Most High, who he has given this to. Now, this uh, temple is being measured and it is in this time slot of the 42 months, which is the final three and a half years of the 40-year period that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, when he said, this generation will not pass away until all things I told you comes to pass. He gave that in about 30 AD. Everything was concluded by the end of 70 AD. So at the end of this 40-year transition period was the last three and a half years of the end of Daniel's two time prophecies of the time of the end. And so what he's saying is that during this 42 months is when the temple was about to be trodden underfoot 
by the Gentiles. The writings of Josephus are incredible. I've, I've in the last couple of months read the whole entire volume of the writings of Josephus and the stories that he tells of the extremities and of the narrative that he gives concerning uh, just the horrible, horrible things that occurred during these last three and a half years because it was given to the Gentiles to tread underfoot in fulfillment of Luke 21, 24 that says that these are the days of vengeance that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the prophets uh, that, uh, that it would, well, let me go back and see if I can uh, read that to you and, and make it uh, Luke 21. Uh, ver, let me just read from, from, from verse 22. It said, for these be the days of vengeance. This is Luke 21, 22. These be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Now that's, that's the, the center column reference right here is from the book of Daniel and from the book of Zechariah quoting their prophecies. But woe unto them that are with child unto them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden under, down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now I think that is a direct fulfillment of this in Revelation chapter number 11 in fulfillment of the Lord's own words or the Lord's own prophecy when he gave concerning this. You know, I think I've talked with so many people who've given us such powerful testimonies of how this word set them free to believe they have a future. I, I've talked to many mothers who told me I never had any children because I didn't bring them, wanted to bring them into a world where the end was imminent. I, I didn't want to be with child to give suck in those days. I, I, I've had people tell me I feel like I was robbed because of bad theology. I never got an education, never went to college. I never, uh, I never did the things, I never fulfilled the dreams of my heart. See, bad theology will rob us of a future. But what I say to you is that these things in Luke 21, Matthew 24, Revelation 11 are not in your future. They are in your past. As a matter of fact, Isaiah prophesied concerning this day, and he said, you will build houses and you will inhabit them. You will plant vineyards and you will long enjoy the fruit of your land. I believe that if we could change the mindset, especially of the church, and quit handing this thing back over to the devil and realize the devil's been defeated, Jesus bound him at the cross, and that we must keep the great chain of truth about him that keeps him bound, that we have authority over principalities and powers, and he handed that to the believer, and that we've got authority as believers. I think one of the things that I so appreciate even about the Word of Faith movement is that they uh, you know, the, or the aspects of it that I do appreciate about it. There's, you know, things maybe that I don't necessarily agree with, but there's a lot that I do agree with. And one of the things I agree with is that they taught the authority of the believer. And, uh, but they've just thought that the authority of the believer was to get a bigger car or a nicer house. And while I do believe God wants to bless us, that's really not what, you know, we ought to be thinking because we've taught the authority of the believer, except that the eschatology that they teach doesn't fit that because what happens is then all of a sudden when the big battle gets or the devil rears his ugly head, God's got to snatch us out here and hide us someplace. What I'm saying is the victory is ours. The devil is defeated. Jesus is Lord. He is presently reigning. He's not going to be king. He's already king. He has handed to us a dominion and that the church of Jesus Christ and the people of God ought to enforce that dominion in their own lives and then let it be organic as it affects like leaven every aspect of 
of things around us. I believe the kingdom of God, if we could get people to think in terms of what I'm teaching, would begin to invade our entertainment. It would invade our financial systems. It would in, in, invade our marriages. It would invade our homes. It would invade our schools. Not, not to be forced or legislated, but to flow as an outflow of an organic relationship with God out of our hearts where we would want to do what is right because we've got a new nature. That's what changes the hearts and lives of people. Now, what I'm, it goes on to say is that, uh, that what would happen is that there would be two witnesses that would come, and he describes them as being having power to shut the heavens that it rain not, and to smite the earth as often as they will with plagues. And he goes on to say that their dead bodies would lie in the street of the city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, first of all, our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or in Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. So he is making again a direct connection to that ancient Jerusalem in the early days of the first century when he is saying to them, uh, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So he makes a direct connection with Egypt and Sodom. And I dealt with this a little bit in the last segment, so I'm not going to deal with it in detail in this one. But Jesus himself, when he would do many mighty miracles, he would say, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment that it will be for you. He uses the same terminology uh, in Matthew 24 when he says, remember Lot's wife. And you remember that the same day that Lot went out of Sodom and Gomorrah, it rained fire and brimstone, but his wife looked back. What God was saying to these people is, don't look back, don't go back to Jerusalem. When you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, that same fire and brimstone is about to destroy this city, and it did in 70 AD. And to all those that heeded the words of Christ and fled to Pella, they did not suffer that judgment. Egypt also, I dealt with that really extensively in the last one. Um, but uh, uh, you know how that Egypt was a picture of the bondage of slavery, and under the old covenant, we were slaves and servants, but in the new covenant, we are sons. But to clear this part, to me, when it's talking about these two witnesses, it's really not talking about, and in, in, uh, you know, of course, this can be debated, but to me, it's really not talking about two individuals, but what they represent. Mo when I see they have the power to shut up the heavens, you've you got to think about Elijah. When I think about they have the earth, to smut the earth as often as they will with plagues, it can be none other than Moses. So Moses and Elijah. But I see this not as two literal individuals that stand up there and, uh, you know, smite the earth and shut up the heavens. But I see that as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets coming upon apostate Israel, that all of the plagues, all of the judgments, all of the catastrophes that were prophesied throughout the Old Testament would culminate, as Luke 21 said, that all things that were spoken of by the prophets would be fulfilled during this day's of vengeance. So when he is, this testimony is being given by the law and the prophets, and I believe that when he talks about, you know, that, that, that during this period of time that their prophecy would come and men, uh, you know, would... Uh, uh, that, uh, that, that the people, kindred and nations, would see their dead bodies in the street and that they would dwell on the earth, would rejoice over them when they were killed. What I think that he's saying here, and this could be a literal three and a half days, this three and a half days could be symbols again because we're dealing with a book that's highly symbolic. But when I think about uh, their dead bodies shall lie in the street, what he's simply saying is that everything they have prophesied has come to pass, but now the Romans have totally destroyed this whole system of the temple with the 
law and the prophets, and they are now seemingly be totally demolished and demised. Now, I'm not saying the law and the prophets are bad. So what happens is, is that God simply receives into uh, the glories of the heavens these two prophets and raises them up. And when he does, what happens is that the testimony which they gave has now come upon natural apostate Israel. And I believe in the resurrection that is about to occur in just a few verses, the law and the prophets and all of those that were slain prior to uh, prior to this time, are about to be able for the first time to be able to be entered into the heavens because uh, the heavens are now open because while uh, they may be in some dimension of, if you will, the bosom of Abraham or in the paradise of God, they've not yet entered into the heavenly holiest of holies because the book of Hebrews says that the way into that was not yet made while the first temple stood. So this temple is being destroyed and they are being received into heaven. And when they're received into heaven, their testimony is complete. And everything that was declared by the law and the prophets and the catastrophes and the judgments and the fire that comes down out of heaven and all of God's judgments have now occurred upon apostate Israel and upon apostate Jerusalem. And these catastrophes have absolutely demolished. And so that the, uh, there was, uh, there was a voice from, uh, from heaven that said, called them up hither and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. And it says in the same hour, was there a great earthquake? The tenth part of the city fell, and the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. The remnant were afraid and gave glory to God. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe comes quickly, and then it gives way to the seventh trumpet, which I believe is the last trump that's about to sound. In the next segment, we're going to talk about the resurrection of the dead and how I believe that occurred during the period, this period of time. At least some kind of a resurrection occurred then. But I need you to see that everything flows contextually. It flows historically. Historically, it flows in the same time slots without any, uh, uh, you know, hermeneutical gymnastics to try to make it fit some way that it does not. Uh, but, but I believe that you're seeing consistently what's happening clear up to the destruction of the temple and the final and closing days of what the biblical last days were and the biblical time of the end. Remember when John Noe and I were on that we talked about it is not the end of time. It is the appointed time of the end. We'll talk about that in the next segment when I come back as we get, talk about the resurrection of the dead a little bit and uh, try to touch that. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Let me just say quickly to uh, call the number on that screen. If you'd like to uh, become a partner with our ministry or you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry, we really do need your help to do this. As you know, you've watched us for years. If those of you watch us, we, we, we have very little time that we share on raising funds, but we do need your help. It does cost an incredible amount of money to be on national television, and it is your faithful support that enables us to do that. Please don't sit on the sidelines. Become a part of something big. Hallelujah. And we thank you for that. God bless. Tune in again next week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.